Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on Off Talk Empire, we're past Halloween, so let's get whimsical. We're going to turn to certain teams we weren't so sure about and sort them into their Hogwarts houses. Legitfindor, Shitherin, Irrelevant Claw, and Hoffrodpuff. The last one happens to use the color yellow, coincidentally. This week, an off tackle empire! Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle empire! Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire where by the time you're hearing this it will be the second of november two days after spooky season culminates and ends but that's three days after things got maximum spooky here in the big 10. you know you put me in a little bit of a conflict here because in our perpetual attempt to balance the natural levels of our respective voices i'm gonna do my best to keep the microphone within like a foot of me today but of course what i want to do is lean back in my chair with my arms crossed behind my head for all of our listeners to pick up in my tone and and ask how you feeling because i'm feeling mighty well that's andy krzeski i'm steve braun this is off talk empire we talk about big 10 football and a bunch of things happened in Big Ten football this week that can really only be summed up by our Win Fight Tri Brewster of the Week, which is from Griffin Claw Brewing Company in Birmingham, Michigan, and it is Screamin' Pumpkin. And what happened was you saw an awful lot of fancy stagecoaches turn right back into pumpkins this weekend, some over the course of a game, like Penn State. Certainly... They, they certainly seemed like maybe there was a chance that they, would, that they wouldn't get left at the ball. Uh, some were more over the course of a week, such as Illinois. The offense that could suddenly couldn't. Oops, clock struck midnight. Well, you were orange the whole time, though. <laughs> Absolutely true. And very pumpkin-shaped in the case of our head coach. Better than being gray, though. Uh, yes, much, much better. Everything's better. Uh, in some cases, Indiana turned into a pumpkin uh that's a season long since thing. last year yep. yep and uh you know that's a season-long thing over the course of a couple of years right but then there's somebody whose season who, whose season struck midnight very suddenly and that was the michigan wolverines well we say that and before we get into the details of that game only first day uh kenneth walker third for heisman or at the very least he should be present in new york to watch one of the quarterbacks win it and settle for the Doak Walker and a runaway. Of course, what will probably happen is the national media will guarantee that even the Walker goes to Bijan Robinson, who will have about 70% of Walker's production. But hey, he goes to Texas and he gives a good interview. Anyway, 
before we get into the X's and O's of that game, which if you haven't picked up yet, Michigan State 37, Michigan 33. I have, you know, it, it's a fair question at this point about where Michigan goes from here, what is left for them for this season. It is fair to observe that they are 7-1. and one. They're still a top 10 team. They could, I mean, even in a loss, I honestly think that there's more hope for Michigan losing after losing that game than there might have been going into it because before the, however this game came out, before you saw the game go the way it did on Saturday, I didn't think there was the slightest chance in hell that they were even going to compete with Ohio State because I thought they were going to have a completely one-dimensional offense. They were going to go in there, Ohio State would load the box, Michigan would not be able to keep up, and that game would be over by midway through the second quarter. They've now shown that if they actually have to, they're look at that, their quarterback can complete passes and they have receivers capable of springing big plays. Who would have thought? And as much as it wasn't enough to get it done in this game, I think there's a couple things to observe. First of all, imagine if they had actually worked on their downfield passing game a little bit more. Imagine if Andrew Anthony had had any career catches before this game, the impact that he could have had not only during the game, but on Michigan State's game planning. How much is Michigan State able to commit to stopping the run if they know Michigan's got a good enough passing attack to stop to, to beat them? So a lot of a lot of Monday morning questions to be sure, which look, even making a reduced salary, there's still a lot of pressure to win there. This still puts them far behind the eight ball to accomplish anything meaningful this season. They could easily have depend I mean, we'll see that matchup with them in Penn State is gonna be fascinating in a couple weeks when it happens. We'll see where they are after next week's games before we get to it. But Michigan could easily win 10 games this year, which is better than anyone thought. I mean, most preseason projections had them at like seven or eight wins. They could easily pass their preseason projections and still have a completely hollow year. Yeah. Um, Because at this point, nothing's off the table. Absolutely nothing's off the table. Um, You know, unless, of course, you have the same view that I do of Ohio State. Um, but the Rose Bowl is not off the table. It's it's much farther. You got to reach. You got to reach across the table. They we, certainly need Michigan State to lose two. At they this do, point. and we'll again we'll get into the preview a little bit. But this bend but don't break style once again worked in Michigan State's favor. As the season goes on, and we see bigger sample sizes here. I understand that they have to do it because they don't have the personnel to do the pattern matching that they want to do on defense, but they are certainly playing with fire a little bit. Um, I think Jim Harbaugh made a couple decisions in the first half that really surprised me, all of which is going to be lost in the complaining about, oh, overturning the defensive touchdown. Oh, it was inexcusable, inexplicable. No, it was perfectly reasonable. It was a close call, but you can see that reviewed in just about it. Like there's, there are plays like that that are replayed in every game. Every level of football, well, not every level of football, I can't always really say they do it at high school, but college pros, those plays happen in just about every game. And it happened before halftime. So if you're really going to pin too much on that, you're not giving your team very much credit. Although, given the way they played after taking a two-score lead, I guess maybe that's a fair observation because when Michigan got to their high water mark, they were up 16 in the third quarter with, I think, about five minutes, five or six minutes to go. And from there, they were outscored 23 to three. So I don't know how you decide that that's the decisive play in the game. It was a big play in the game, but it's not as out of the, you know, out of the blue as you might 
want it to be if you're a Michigan fan. Like that's a play that's easily reviewable and easily overturned based on what was on the camera. So all that being said, the thought that I was getting to there was these field goals that he kicked don't seem to be getting the scrutiny that I thought they would. He kicked one on fourth and two and another on fourth and three, and they spent all season working on this run game. And my thought was, and they, they even carried through with this, that they made some calls that I really liked in these situations against Nebraska and against Wisconsin, where they're in these fourth and short, fourth and, you know, kind of mediums, and they play aggressive and they go for it. And because as much as you might want to criticize, well, they're not working on their passing game, they got their run game to a point where they could reasonably be confident giving the ball to Haskins or Corum on a fourth and three and expecting it to work. And then they get to this game and they don't even try it. They attempt, they sell for four field goals in a game that they ended up losing by four points. Now, are you talking about the first two field goals? I think it was the first two in sequence. Yes, yeah. Because those, you know, the in the first one, there, there's only one here. And again, having not seen the game really... I'm kind of just looking at this box. You know, I just caught up after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the case of the first field goal, it makes it a two-possession game. Um, the second field goal t- took it from a three-point lead to a six-point lead. So that's one where you really have yeah, kind of a, of, of a... I mean, because you just can't... I mean, I don't think it's necessarily... I hate field goals as well, but when you're talking about making it a two possession game, that's yeah. The, it was I think it was the first field goal that made it two possessions, and I didn't hate that one as much. But as you say, the second one still makes it you know a touchdown still has you trailing, and that ended up being the case. Michigan State had a 14-13 that is a lead, fourth and two at the MSU twenty. Yeah, and of all the I mean a couple the, la- the latter two were longer attempts. I think like there was a fourth and eight in there maybe, and like a fourth and six or something. That that gets into a range where I can understand you don't you don't want to risk that. You feel that every point in this matchup is going to be necessary. These games are usually pretty tight, but they kicked four field goals, and I don't think any of them were longer than forty yards. So leaving those kinds of points on the table in a rivalry game like this, I just didn't understand it, and it was out of keeping with how they had played. I, I really thought, based on what we saw from them earlier this season, that they had returned to a more aggressive in your face mindset and that that was going to serve them well. And then they get to this game and they just backed out of it. They just didn't make those decisions. And I, I've watched fewer of their games, but in pre-using the box scores, I don't really agree with you there. I kind of thought that they were maybe a bit more confident in their ability to control games, but certainly not pushing the ball through the air and seemed willing to settle for field goals in games that they were concerned they might lose. There could be a couple of specific instances that are skewing my overall memory here. Um, but anyway, yeah, I suppose we can... But yeah, to get an even turnover battle, outgain your opponent by 160, and lose is kind of some Scott Frost shit. Yeah. Kind of. Really, the thing... So... I mean... It's not, but it, it he wouldn't be embarrassed by it, right? Like, it's an, it's it's in his oeuvre. Sure. <coughs> but again, the, the yardage thing in these games of Michigan State this year, I think that's going to mean less than it usually does because, again, that's the style this defense is willing to play because they know they don't have the personnel to play the way they want to 
as far as pass defense goes. So they've had they've had their set all season north, and that's that's offenses as good as Western Kentucky and as bad as Northwestern. They've given opposing quarterbacks all the space on short throws that they want, generally trusting that over the course of long drives, pass pro will break down or the offensive line will commit a penalty. Something will happen to throw the drive off. And even if it doesn't, when they get to the red zone, the windows are shorter and they can press their safeties up a little more and break stuff up and force field goals. And that's what they've been doing. And it's worked and they're scoring enough points that they can afford to give up field goals. Really, I mean, this is the first time, you know, Andrew Anthony cracked a 93-yard touchdown. I'd be willing to have to think about it, but I don't recall an opponent having a touchdown of longer than 15 or 20 yards. They've really made their opponents go the length of the field. And even the long one they gave up today was just a bad angle. So that's about enough from the Michigan perspective, I think. Like I said, Kenneth Walker was an absolute hero today. It's true that over the course of the game, the offensive line definitely did a much better job opening lines for him. And the other thing was schematically, I think Jay Johnson ate Mike McDonald's lunch in this game. In a lot of ways, especially with the use of tempo in certain spots. And McDonald, I wonder if he showed a little bit of his newness to the college game here because he wanted to substitute so much. And especially on Kenneth Walker's run, it's just a simple zone stretch play. And the tackle who's supposed to take the first gap got way out of position. So there's just a gaping hole for him to hit so that he's full speed by the time linebackers realize he's through. And you know, the other thing is um, they substitute so much, but Michigan State's done this to a couple other teams where if they're not always going to substitute, and when the opponent goes to do it, not realizing the MSU hasn't, that's when they hit the nozzle a little bit and speed up their tempo. Like, they're not really an up-tempo team all the time, but they're very good at keeping an eye on, all right, now, hey, defense is trying a sub and we didn't do it. We can snap whenever we want, get up to the line, and they did it. Three legal substitution penalties for Michigan. And I think two of those ended up turning into touchdown plays for Michigan State. So that was a big sort of strategic advantage that they had. They even showed a willingness to adjust somewhat because they've been doing this platoon thing with their offensive line all year where they bring in four subs, kick the one guard out to tackle Kevin Jarvis, and then sub the other four guys out. And... It's had kind of mixed results to this point, but man, in the second quarter of this game, they bring in that second team, so it's Luke Campbell at left tackle, and he got his lunch eaten by Hutchinson and Ojabo, who, by the way, up to this point, Ojabo has kind of just been, to me, the guy who benefits from how good Hutchinson is, and this game, I think he really showed the kind of the ceiling that he's capable of. He's draft eligible this year, too. I don't know if he's going to go the way that Hutchinson seems absolutely sure to, but if he doesn't go, then they've got a guy who could be all-conference, if not all-American, next year. And you know, the line keeps moving for Michigan at pass rush. But yeah, after that drive, and this is the one that ended in the strip sack touchdown that apparently that ended up not being. After that happened, I don't think Michigan State rotated the offensive line anymore. They went back to the starters. They kept Jarrett Horst in, who did a much better job on the blind side for Peyton Thorne. And they at least showed a willingness to learn from that. It will be interesting to see what they do against Purdue this week and whether they go right back to that plan or if they realize we've played with fire a little too long and we need to keep the starters in. Uh, but man, yeah, this, as much as we talked about, oh, this coach screwed that up, This, you know, these players screwed this up, this was still an excellent game. Probably, I mean, 
people are gonna say, oh, what about trouble with the snap? Yeah, the fact is, though, for long stretches, that game was kind of boring. Um, Michigan scored two of their touchdowns on fullback dives, like not exactly scintillating football. And hang on one second there. We'll hey, we'll get to you there, bud. Look, Don't look here, Bucko. Hey, I'm not gonna you let. Suggesting that fullback dives do hey, not thrill you. I wanted to keep the energy this up. Is the instant gratification generation at its worst. So, for Michigan, what they need to do here, this is their challenge, is can they not let this loss end their season? They've got a lot to play for, and the Rose Bowl's still on the table. And if Um, not that, then certainly another New Year's Six game could be. They lost this game. They had an opportunity to win it. Are they resilient enough to stick with it, to move on from it? They've got... Two tough games. Um, and two very winnable games. And two very winnable games, yeah. Uh, Penn State and Ohio State uh, are still games that, I mean, y- you've just got to go and compete. And the beneficial thing for Michigan is they do have something of a get-right opponent here, and I know it's, I've quickly gone back to kind of the disrespectful way of thinking about Indiana. It's not a defense that's going to roll over and die, but Maryland was able to put 38 up on them in, you know, pretty, pretty easy order. I think really the interesting thing for Michigan, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in the preview, how are you going to approach the game going forward? Because there are a lot of unresolved questions about what you want to do from an offensive philosophy standpoint. You know, are you going to go back to running at 75% of the time and hoping that works? Are you going to let Cade continue to throw the ball? What are you going to do with J.J. McCarthy? Because he lost two, well, he had two fumbles in this game. Was very fortunate that the first one wasn't scoop and scored. And then the second time, you know, lost to me. All right, well, actually, Cade McNamara was in the injury tent. Well, but he didn't look injured before or after. So what was going on there? I don't really care about that either way. The fact of the matter is you put the guy in the game in such little bursts, one play, two plays at a time. That, yeah, the pressure's on, big moment, big game, starts raying a little bit, and now he fumbles the ball twice. What are you going to do with him going forward? Um, so there's a lot of questions. There's a, there's a Yeah, there's a lot on the table here. And I know, obviously, it's not a fun game to lose if you're either side in this team. You know, you know what I real I had, had this thought about this game while I was watching it at the bar, and I've had it a couple times since then. Because usually in a close game like this, a really well-played game, a lot of big plays, dramatic plays... It's the kind of thing where you're like, man, what an instant classic. I can't wait to rewatch this. Win or lose, it's going to be a great... Not in this series, man. In nope. this series, regardless of how good the game is, if your team loses, you never want to think about that game again. It, you know, For example, I always go back to the 2011 Conference Championship game. Fantastic game. If it was on right now, I would happily watch it start to finish, even knowing my team loses in heartbreaking fashion at the end. Because it's Wisconsin. Like, I want to beat them. But it's not like I have to deal with Wisconsin fans at work who will still remind me of that game, you know? Yeah. And so that, yeah. I was sitting there wondering myself, like, yeah, you know, this is going back and forth. Like, and especially late in the game when the game was still in the balance, it's tied at 30. I'm like, gosh, however this goes, what a great game. I can't wait to re- Wait, no. We need to win this game if I'm ever going to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- there's, I mean... Michigan just uh, had the opportunity, got beat, 
they're going to have to do something about it now. They are. And again, without trampling too much on the preview content here, they've now got a night game against a two-win Indiana. So I guess that's one way to organize the TV schedule. <laughs> the other scintillating night game is Iowa-Northwestern. So TV Network's really just knocking it out of the park this week. <laughs> but um, So... Iowa. Speaking of, go ahead, Iowa commentator. Well, the one thing that you can at least say about Iowa playing Wisconsin is that Wisconsin has at least a respect for the game of football that you didn't see out of Purdue. I'm still a bit upset that Purdue disrespected the game with all these Referring to forward passes. multiple quarterbacks and throwing the ball all over it just it, it just demonstrates a total lack of conviction it's really when you know, resort to such cheap tactics throwing the ball is a lot like throwing the flag around if you think about it it's it's not you're not following the united states code provision for how to fold the flag and transport it with respect it's very similar to that when you throw the ball don't don't even talk about disrespecting the flag so before the kickoff of that Purdue game, Iowa was number two in the country. And since that moment in time, they've been outscored 51-14, to 14, which I'm going to check is bad. That's a bad situation to be in for the number two team in the country. This past Saturday, they got blown the hell out by an opponent that completed 50% of their passes, a mighty 11 for 22, for a bit over 100 yards through the air. I don't believe that Purdue game had any bearing on this one because I've been calling this one for weeks Long and weeks and weeks time. and weeks and weeks. And when I, the most and, Ray Charles voice I can muster, what I say! And when I hey, uh, hey. And when Iowa was getting four or five turnovers a game and scoring defensive touchdowns, you stuck to that opinion, and I was like, well, I mean, come on. Like, if they force three turnovers against Wisconsin, they're going to win the game. Uh, but, of course, none of that was ever sustainable. You pointed out, you, you looked at, uh, you know, Bill Connolly, for example, is like, aha, see, I knew I wasn't taking crazy pills because he had Wisconsin as a dramatically higher team than their win-loss record would indicate. A couple years ago, my team went on a run with some unsustainable turnover luck. Um, and you can do that, and that doesn't mean that you aren't ass. As we found out last year. Yeah, well, in a, a run of turnover luck, even one that lasts for like three games, it's like, well, yeah, that changes your impression of a team in a big way because a couple games is a huge piece of a football season. Like, basketball statistics are much more normalized for that kind of thing because there's so many more data points. But, yeah, it's, it's something that it's very easy to mask a lot of problems because if you have a couple games where you, like the Indiana game, Turnovers in football in particular can snowball a game out of control for your opponents so well that they can hide a lot of your own problems. And that's been what the case is here, where Iowa's got a lot of very predictable play calling, terrible offensive line play outside of their All-American center. Um, Credit then, to Graham Mertz in <clears throat> Wisconsin for not putting the ball in harm's way um, yeah, this, as much as they could have. And I, I came up with, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I got a thought here, but go ahead. And ultimately, Iowa... Uh, lost a game by three possessions, and they had three turnovers to Wisconsin's zero. So the approach that Wisconsin used here is an interesting point, and I can't help but wonder here. You know, it's fair to wonder, for example, 
earlier in the season, Wisconsin, even knowing that they're, pa- I mean, they showed they found out early on their passing game was a real problem against Penn State, against Notre Dame. They had to put the ball in Mertz's hands, and he lost them those games. And then after that, against much more winnable, you know, much more winnable games, they took the ball out of Mertz's hands, even once it was clear that they could win. We, it's the similar thing that, to what we asked with Michigan, which is, hey, you know, man, further down the road, aren't you going to need to be able to throw the ball somewhat? But really, in the West Division, it's a very different story, isn't it, than in the East, where if you're Michigan, you play Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State. In the West, your biggest threats are Iowa and Minnesota, where you very well can win the game if you're just better at running the ball than they are. And so Wisconsin worked on that. They're getting great contributions out of Braylon Allen, who I didn't realize had reclassified. This is the thing in football now. Did you know that Braylon Allen's supposed to be in high school still? Yeah. He's 17 years old, and he's adding a dimension to Wisconsin's running game that they've missed pretty badly. Him and Malusi together are a very potent combination. Well, it's funny that you compare Wisconsin quarterback quarterbacking to Michigan quarterbacking because I've been comparing them to Illinois quarterbacking, which oh, well, statistically yeah. speaking, they're much more like. And Illinois uh, against Penn State decided, let's give our quarterbacks as few opportunities to lose the game as possible. Yeah, and that's that, I, that, I know that was a relief for you after some of the strategic decisions they made, you know, Maryland and Purdue, for example, that at least there they got it right. Because, for example, they got the ball back late in regulation, and you're like, just kneel it. Don't let him, don't let Sitkowski touch the ball unless he's handing it to a running back. And that's what they did. Like, they did, they like, did you know. The, like, the biggest, the, the most padded kid gloves you can possibly imagine, uh, you know, I get that Graham Mertz was a highly touted prospect. So too were Art Sitkowski and Brandon Peters. Like, yeah, man. They at don't... some point, you have to see what's going on. Well, look, what what you always hear from recruiting analysts is that, and this is the way any distribution goes with kind of future projections, right? One third of recruits will roughly meet their expectations. One third will exceed, and one third will fall short of, won't they? So not every blue chip quarterback actually turns into a, a solid starter, let alone a superstar. Um, other, so from this Wisconsin perspective, they, it seems like they've kind of accepted a lower ceiling offense. And look, in this year's Big Ten West, that could very well win them the division. If Wisconsin and Minnesota played today, I favor Wisconsin by 10 to 14 points because their defense is so good that a one-dimensional opponent like Minnesota is really going to struggle, in my opinion. And so... They've got their run game in better shape. Their defense has been good the entire time. And now that they're taking the ball out of Mertz's hands, they don't they don't turn the ball over. So they're not putting their defense in bad positions. They can absolutely win the West there. And look, that most likely just earns them a, a ticket to a slaughter in Indianapolis. But until you figure out how to boost the ceiling on your program, that's perfectly good. Given the way they started, given they've lost three games, perfectly good given where they were a month ago. Obviously, the... Two of Wisconsin's scores, one touchdown and one field goal, came on Wisconsin or on Iowa's side of the field, including one at the one yard line. But yeah. even if you take out those three turnovers, Wisconsin, in my opinion, still wins this game because of what I said about success rate. Iowa got 156 yards of offense. Yeah, and <clears throat> as it was happening, our own Stu Monkey pointed this out and the absurdity of it. I know Go Iowa Awesome's recap of the game zeroed in on this as well. Big point in the game, kind of the defining moment of the frustration of this weekend and a Purdue game really put together for Iowa fans. 
it's a point where it's 20 to 7. Iowa's got the ball. They're at third and two. And they call fullback dive. They get one yard. So it's now fourth and short. They decide to go for it. They call a timeout. And then they call another fullback dive. And they don't get it. And then Wisconsin immediately goes 60 yards the other direction, drives like 10, 11, 12 plays, and scores. Game over. Everybody go home so you beat the traffic. Big Ten football. Big Ten football. In the weight room. In the community. That represents every ounce. Practice field. No, you're way too low-pitched to be Walrus Brady Hoke. (laughs) On the practice field. (laughs) You, You know... I saw a brief little interview with him because he's still, you know, San Diego State, I believe, is still undefeated. And I forgot how much of a parody of himself he sounds like. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but another, so one other thing before we go here is even when Iowa's coaching staff does try to push buttons and change things, it's like it, there's a what are you doing element. And what I'm talking about here is I forget exactly when this was, but you know of Charlie Jones. He's been an extremely good punt returner for them since he transferred from Buffalo. They, they get him involved in offense a little bit. He would probably be the returner of the year if not for the fact that Jaden Reed has two return touchdowns, and that's all anyone's going to look at. He's going to get it, no problem. But Charlie Jones has been an impactful punt returner for Iowa on a number of occasions. They swapped him out, put in Max Cooper, who barely plays. On the first punt that's kicked to the kid, he fumbles. Wisconsin gets the ball back, and they score. No explanation for why they took Charlie Jones out of that role where he's been dynamite all year and last year. Um, that's football, I guess. They just cannot play from behind. They just can't do it. Yeah. It it totally rattles them, and they've struggled to respond. I mean, I'm not saying this in general, though it does seem to be generally true, but certainly this Iowa team doesn't seem to have a whole hell of a lot of, of buttons they can push to adjust things dramatically enough to get them back in no. these kind of games. And you know, late in the game, they put Alex Padilla, the backup in there, or I don't I don't know if it's Padilla or Padilla. I've seen that name pronounced both ways, but um they put the backup in for a drive or two. He didn't really do anything different from Petrus. You okay? Yeah. <laughs> you look like you got some TMJ you're working through over there. And I you know, sure what do they get they're still in the division race here I mean, they're behind the eight ball having lost to Wisconsin, but they're not going to bench Petrus at this point. Like, that's not going to happen. And offensively, like, what what, what can they do short of a complete offseason overhaul? Like, the offensive coordinator is the head coach's son. It's not even clear who makes the decisions about what this offense is and what plays they call. But it's hard to imagine those guys disagree very much. So I don't know what the solution is here other than maybe hope you face more teams that can't stop the run at all. Because short of that, I don't know what this offense looks like. It's man, you know who I you know who I really feel bad for here. Well, two guys. First of all, Linderbaum, who's absolutely wasted with four guys next alongside him who can't play at this level. But also Tyler Goodson, who yeah. coming into this season, I thought other than Mo Ibrahim was probably the best running back coming back in the Big Ten. Ibrahim's obviously out for tragic reasons. Um but man, I I don't know what Goodson's numbers on the year over. I know he had a couple decent games earlier when they were rolling, but he's not getting past 600 yards or so, which is too bad because he would have been, I mean, I really liked his potential as an NFL guy. Grant, he would have had to go to a zone blocking scheme because that's all he's ever run in. But 
I don't know, like they're they're gonna have him back next year because I don't know what tape he has to show anybody. Like he doesn't have any numbers, but there's been no opportunity. Like he, there were plenty of plays in this game where he took this he took the handoff and had a linebacker in his face. What's gonna happen is Iowa's gonna win. It is gonna is gonna split their last two games, and they're gonna finish eight and four. And then whoever could have predicted, yeah. That. Right now, it seems like a big departure from what was going on two weeks ago. But see, that's why you never have this recency bias. You know, eight and four. I didn't say what order those eight wins and four <laughs> losses were going to be in. So all they're doing is taking the scenic route to eight and four. Is this scenic? Is that what the word is? Well, they got up to your rarely charted territory for them, so... Yeah, speaking of the scenic route, you had a drive down to Champaign and back this past weekend for Illinutgers 8. Illinutgers 8, the finale for the time being, as we've decided to replace it with the uh, titillating Illinips series. Yeah, and you know, this was also a noon kickoff. As I mentioned, I went to a bar for a small launch party, um... The buddy I was there with had some of the Iowa-Wisconsin game on his phone, so I caught some bits of that. I did not see a single moment of this game, but the box score seems to confirm to me that the Rutgers defense is vastly better than the Penn State defense. True? Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. There's just there's no, way, no way you can argue with that. I'll be, and again, I'll, I'll let you get into your actual impressions from the game, but again, just purely reading the box score... No turnovers by either team, and yet not you still... to mention Noah Vedral quarterbacks circles around Sean Clifford. Damn, man! No turnovers in this game by either team. A combined fourteen punts. Just a lot of two mules kind of pressing against each other. Well, es- nothing happened. Essentially, what happened was they came out with very similar goals, right? Gonna shorten the game. Let's get out of here as quickly as we can. Shorten the game. Stop the run. So many teams in the Big Ten that are like that this year. Yep. Let's you know. Hold on. All right. So, how many? If you gave them the option of win or loss, playing a ninety-minute football game, I'm I'm thinking Illinois, Northwestern, Rutgers, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. Iowa. Fully half the conference would eagerly sign up for that game plan. Now let's go on the fence. Minnesota. I said Minnesota, yeah. Oh, did you? So, uh, hold on. So Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern, Illinois, Rutgers, Michigan. Ah, okay. Yeah. Anybody else? Because I'd... Indiana, honestly, like, if they had a good enough offensive yeah. line to do that, I think that's what Tom Allen would probably prefer. Purdue's games are turning into that... Uh, but Jeff Brom is fighting tooth and nail to not do that. Yeah, I don't. He, think he doesn't would. want to do it, but his team does. He doesn't want to do it. Loxley doesn't want to do it. Dave Franklin, they don't want to do it. Tucker really doesn't want to do it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, Scott Frost, I don't think so. Like, he likes to run the ball, but it's a very different kind of run. Like, they run tempo. So, I wouldn't put him. So, yeah, I think we'll get fully... into this later, but uh, the Big Ten is now split in half. Meanwhile, about half of the Big 12 has become the Big Ten, and the ACC has become the Big 12. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've got supporting evidence for this later, but this is absolutely true. I've, I've, I've looked over all of it. And and that's that's serious. I, I'm seriously, it's a lot more than you're thinking right now. Nobody nobody is going to be able to see this, of course, listening. But right now, he's very much got the Charlie Day Pepe Silvia look in his eyes, where he's like, and I go and I go over to the ACC and I say, Wake Forest, wait. So I gotta talk to you about the offense, Wake Forest. Yeah, so so back in non-offense land <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam Corsack won the day Blake Hayes was average he hasn't had the best season to be honest after a blistering start to the year he's been merely very good Corsack pinned us deep when we really desperately needed to respond after giving up a back-breaking 88-yard touchdown drive um, so Rutgers just played better in the trenches and controlled the line of scrimmage uh, neither team made big mistakes I mean Illinois made the biggest mistakes uh, there were no turnovers. The three big mistakes that Illinois made was, were after scoring 14 in the first half with, honestly, some decent passing plays. Yeah. Uh, more explosive plays than I'm used to. Uh, they had either four or five second-half possessions. Four second-half possessions. Um, either four or five second-half possessions, but they had three of them buried by offensive penalties that were just drive-killing, like, a couple of 15-yarders, just this offense can't survive that. Yeah. And in a game where you're trying to, if, if you're going to manage like a big churn football, then you just can't have those mistakes because if you're limiting possessions, then it's like... And your opponent's limiting yeah, possessions. They only got <laughs> yeah. four of them. Three of them were killed by offensive penalty. No, it's, I mean, it's, one of them was because Corsac just sniped them to the one. I mean, there was just nothing they could do about that. You're playing a more... It's like a traditional NFL game where it's like, okay, each team gets the ball five times and three of those drives are going to be killed by holding penalties. On the other hand, they did have a chance to go and take the lead uh, where a touchdown would have won the game. For the fourth game this year, they had such an opportunity, and for the fourth game this year, they failed. Um, I do think they are more likely to fail in those situations than your average team in that situation, though, because they are so bad at throwing the ball. And when you have to score and your opponent knows you need to move kind of quickly and you can't just run the ball and take eight minutes and you know matriculate slowly up the field, I think that structurally puts Illinois at a disadvantage. Well, they were doing it and doing it and doing it well until like they, they, they got a good first down gain, and then they ran Jakari Norwood, who's 185 pounds, up the middle yeah. on second and third down. Yeah. And on fourth and short, after taking a timeout, 
uh, instead of snapping the ball with Rutgers out. God, I was in the crowd here. Rutgers had 12 men on the field, and uh, the play clock ran out, um, and they, they took a timeout. I mean, God damn it, they snapped it early. Yeah. Huge missed opportunity. But then they lined Chase Brown up eight yards deep in the backfield and pitched it to him, lost five yards. They dialed up the quarterback sneak last week. Peters did one earlier in the game that got some yardage. I don't know where that went. It was a really weird play call. Either do the quarterback sneak or or fake the handoff, run the post-wheel combo. I got to credit Tony Peterson for calling up some creative plays, but, um, you know, and actually, again, making some things happen in the passing game, which he was forced to do because none of the running stuff we did against Penn State was working here. I think, you know, because we put it on film. Um yeah. We struggled without the element of surprise, which is not really not really what you want to see, but it's also good to know that with that element, we can win games. Yeah, element of surprise, and again, I, I do think there's probably a little bit of Penn State looking ahead when they're playing you. Um, we put a lot of new stuff on yeah, offense sure, at them. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, speaking of that well Rutgers des- was ready for. Speaking of well-designed plays, is it worth noting that Rutgers um, took a wrapper off of their prized freshman quarterback Gavin Wimsat put him in the game for a little bit of a gadget play and got an important pass conversion and a point. Oh no, no 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 he came off the bench cold after their after Vedral got knocked out of the game he hadn't even warming up and he just threw a laser on fourth down this was after Johnny Langan morphed into Chris Carter on the sideline to make an incredible third down catch all right, I, it's like I um, said, I, the way you had this written, I this was, was on the backbreaking eighty-eight yard drive. I mean, where they just converted every every single yeah. opportunity. We couldn't. We were confused by this zone read they kept spamming at us. And um, I mean, ultimately, it's two very similar teams. Rutgers with better quarterback play and a better defense um, in two slightly different stages of pretty deep rebuilds. Yeah. Um, you know, Rutgers coming from a little bit deeper, but also a year ahead. Yeah. And we're living in the transfer portal era. Um, I'm not really too discouraged. It always sucks to piss away opportunities to win games, but we've had opportunities to win five of the six Big Ten games. So uh, what can you do? Uh, what I am upset about is that our fans left when we turned it over on downs and still had three timeouts and 56 seconds left. Uh, they cleared out. I guess it's just learned helplessness, if you know, psychology. Um I think really it's, probably, it's probably more the insuppressible Midwestern compulsion once you get to a certain age to beat traffic. Yeah, which, which again, 56 seconds to go. They converted on third and six. So these guys save, these guys bailed on their team to save three minutes. Like, by walking faster, I probably kept up with the first people that left. <laughs> um, at halftime... Went to uh, refresh my drink and uh, got talking with some people about just you know what we think about the coaching staff and maybe our chance to uh, win some more games this year and uh, you know ended up talking about things this staff does and doesn't do and things that bothered us about last last time that we don't see as much and one of the things that I mentioned was that you know we don't have these weird personnel things where like you know for whatever reason you have players like Trey Watson sit on the bench while like against Rutgers last time I was you know, four years ago, to watch Jimmy Marquez get smoked by Gio Rossino. And uh, one of the guys I was talking to was the third Marquez brother. <laughs> it's fun times. <laughs> no, I mean, and I you mean, managed to not fight him. So that's, well, that's an improvement. You know, the thing is, like, 
what exactly were we get? We're, we're we're there to cheer Illinois, like sure. We're happy about winning, <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, like the dude knew Trey Watson. There's there's no arguing the fact that a third round draft pick um, was better equipped, and that something weird happened to get this to happen, right? Like, and I told him, dude, I appreciate all the work that everybody does as a walk on for especially for Illinois football because you know they're not doing it for glory, right? But the fact of the matter is, like. Bro got smoked in that game. It was really bad. I think Trey Watson was probably better. So, so I asked him, why does he think that happened, right? Like, you know, because I really wanted to know. And I guess it was just a thing where a lot of players just, like, hated the, that coaching staff when they got brought in. Trey Watson was pretty much chief among them and got so disruptive that there were a lot of things he wasn't doing where they just couldn't play him anymore. Of course, the brother said, it just, Trey just had, like, a really bad attitude at that point. Jimmy... Also had a bad attitude, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite as disruptive. <laughs> so he told me that he's a big believer because Brett Bielma gets these kinds of things about dealing with college athletes. You got to make motivated. That you got to make them not hate you. Yeah, because <laughs> they're not under yeah. contract. They don't have millions of dollars at stake if they you ignore reach you. These people, man. I mean, we haven't really seen any evidence that anybody hates this staff. Yeah, I, I don't think there's people any. People have been benched. People have, you know, playing time is gone. You haven't haven't seen uh, really evidence that people are... Not a hint of Illinois quitting at yeah. any point in any game. So, so I mean, you know, whatever. It was, hey, and everybody loved the uh, the Nutger bombs that I brought to the tailgate. The tailgating is, remains, I mean, just unbelievably fun for how bad Illinois has been for, for however long. I mean, for the 14th straight year, we picked up our sixth loss of the season. All right. We got to start moving a little quicker here because we, I mean, obviously discussing our team's games usually takes longer. Well, it's but Illinois Rutgers we week, are, dude. We, we got to stop and spend the time, yes, to, to pause and commemorate all the great memories of, of course, you know, such classics as Illinois Rutgers 3, probably. Um, this one was. Illinois Rutgers 3 was the one where Chase Crouch is. Chase Do you Crouch actually remember that off the top of your head? His, you have a problem. Destroyed his shoulder throwing the go-ahead touchdown. Oh my god, you shouldn't know that. Illinois Rutgers 4 was a Jimmy Marquez game. Indiana 35, Maryland 38. We are moving on. An actually lit game occurring in front of dozens of Maryland fans. Dozens of us. Well, so... They didn't do what they needed to do to shut down this offense like we said they might, but the offense for Maryland did well enough that it didn't particularly matter. On the other hand, you had a new quarterback in for Indiana, which might have changed things a little bit. Yeah, it, this has to be viewed as something of a positive sign. Obviously, Penix has been week to week for a while. They won't officially rule him out for the season, but just kind of reading the tea leaves, I do not get the vibe that he's coming back this season. Maybe if they find, somehow find their way to a bowl game, he could play. Uh, but now Jack Tuttle is also dealing with, I think, a foot or an ankle injury. And so they had to put Donovan McCauley in last week. But, of course, he had not taken a whole lot of the first team reps because they were still they were rolling with Jack Tuttle at that point. So first week where you've seen McCauley get in there with all the reps with the ones. And a big step forward. A um, couple of touchdowns. I don't think any turnovers. There were no turnovers in this game. Yeah. And there were about 450 to 500 yards of offense by each team. Yeah. A real shootout. Yeah. And so, look, this... I understand that this is loss number six for Indiana. They're not officially out of bowl contention yet, but it's going to be hard, right? 
to sweep the month of November in the Big Ten is difficult in the best of circumstances, to say nothing of when you're on your third string, true freshman court black. I think actually could consider him a four string because I think they had another guy who was knocked out with an ACL in spring practice whose name escapes me. But this is a big step forward in the right direction because if you accept that, okay, whether we get to a bowl or not, this season is not what we thought it would be. So what can we get out of it that helps us going forward? Well, one of the things you could certainly find out is, do we have a big time player in our true freshman quarterback? And even if Penix comes back or you want to start Tuttle next year, maybe you use the second year red shirt on McCulley and he sticks around. McCulley found some big plays. He only yeah. completed 14 of 25, but he went for 242, threw two touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, found Fry Fogel for 52, found Marshall for 41, yeah. uh, got Pendershot 106 yards and two touchdowns. Stephen Carr also, as far as an important young player for Indiana, broke a 66-yarder, right. looked, had one of his best games. Well, he had the 66-yarder, and then he otherwise had about 70 yards on 20 carries. So this is still an Indiana run game that, frankly, is not very efficient. If they get the occasional explosion play like that, that will help. But they really have not had very many of those. And so that that feeds even more into the point, which is that McCulley's development is very important as a dual threat. If he takes some pressure off of Carr in the run game, opens a few more creases, then that could really help this offense a lot. Because, look, Penix is mobile in the sense of like a Russell Wilson where he can buy time in the pocket, but you don't really think he's not really a runner and Tuttle was not that either. Adding that running dimension from the quarterback could really help take pressure off of an offense that's struggling to regularly make yards right now. And for Maryland, Talia Tagovailoa continues to really impress against defenses that are not elite. Yeah. And it also looks like after, you know, with Demas going down and then Deshaun Jones going down, they basically threw everybody in the receiver room out there for a couple weeks and said, well, somebody's got to figure out how to be the next guy, right? Well, Carlos Carrier now looks like he could be that guy. And I, I still can't figure out why, against, like, like you said, in the games against these non-elite athleticism defenses, because, again, I, I still think of Indiana's defense as being pretty good. So it's understandable why they weren't able to get much going on the ground, but they're, they're now running out this combination of Tan, Fleet Davis, and um, Shalon Fahamatao. Boy, talk about a couple of names. <laughs> um, they got just enough done. Virtually all of their passing, or virtually all of their yards came through the air. Yeah, and so I don't know whether that's a recipe for success or not. Um, it got him. It was enough to get it done in this game. We called this game potentially decisive for a bowl berth each way, and afterwards, it very much still feels like that. Because well, and I'll tell you what: as far as looking ahead for Maryland, uh, here's Brandon Peters' stat line in Illinutkers: fourteen for nineteen, one hundred ninety yards, and two touchdowns, no interceptions. Brandon Peters. Oh, also, um, uh, five carries for twenty-five yards. So, yeah. if you're looking for a team that could <laughs> be had through the air. Uh, with some better receiving options. I mean, <laughs> Rutgers couldn't contain our miserable passing game. Yeah, well, and uh, they play Michigan State after that. That's a team that is going to give you lots of completions through the air. So there's a chance for Tungo Vailo to get on a little bit of a roll here as they head down the home stretch. Yeah, I mean, for Indiana, you just kind of <clears throat> burn the tape this year, try again. I don't think you want to burn the tape of this game because, like I said, I give it. Yeah, given what they've gone through to get to this point, 
yeah, you, you could you don't want to pack it in because you still got enough young players coming in. Like they have a good recruiting class coming in next year. I'm not sold on well now they have to go back to the incremental development, which we'll get a little bit better at a time. This was a big step back, but the schedule was always going to be ruinous for them. We know Penix has had the problems with injuries in the past. Once he got hurt, everything seemed to kind of fall to pieces on offense. They have other, they do have bigger picture questions to answer, to be sure. But figuring out what you've got in McCulley, finding ways to get this run game back on track a little bit. Maybe it's just introducing a dual threat, and maybe that's good enough. Um, Maryland won a game in October. That's hey, a good thing that happened. <laughs> Technically in October. And yes. now that we're recording, it's November, which means that this should be the last terrible game we see from Northwestern. Minnesota 41, Northwestern 14. I just wonder at this point if Andrew Marty at some point retweeted something vaguely supportive of minimum wage workers or something. Because imagine what this offense could look like if they gave it a chance to operate with by far the most effective signal caller on the roster without first burying him in a multi-score deficit. Because that's what they did here. They started Holinsky. He couldn't do anything. They turned to Marty. He instantly scored a touchdown, and then they put Holinsky back in. And (laughs) if Marty... The thing is, I understand the Andrew Marty situation to be that he just doesn't have it at practice and you just about never see it where a guy doesn't have it at practice and is your best quarterback on game day. The only, I'm, it is hard to blame somebody for not really believing that that strongly because basically unless you have a guy that, 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 that comes in and wins a game in this situation... You, 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 if they gave you, him more snaps, he might have when he played and the game was not, not on a hand yet. Like when when you have the guys that are running your stuff the best in practice, <sighs> you you play what you practice. I mean, and and how's that gone for him this year? How's Ryan Holinsky doing in leading Northwestern back to the process? Is it going well? Was it going well with Hunter Johnson, who probably practices well, throws a tight spiral, stands real tall in that pocket? How's he doing on the field? Is, is it what go, Pat is it going well? Does man? I okay okay. But look, you want this is already a defense that's far below the usual standard in terms of talent. And in this game, you got to remember, Minnesota had a 21-point fourth quarter, which involved their like ninth string, you know, former walk-on linebacker turned running back cracking a long, a reasonably long touchdown run. That defense collapsed. I have to think at some point there's an issue here with yeah, practice is whatever practice is. We're not playing the quarterback who gives us the best chance to win. That's what that is at this point. I Again, they always do figure things out in November just going into that Illinois game. All I'm saying is Xavier Henderson has made it very clear he's going to the pros after this year. And if Brandon Joseph wants to come and play for a team that might actually win something, holler at us. Look, man, why do you think I'm in the stock market game? I put a lot of my chips into the Nern Rocket a few weeks ago. <laughs> Knowing it's not going to get much, you know, we're, we're at the bottom here, right? We're at... Uh, Fueling. We're, no, we, we, what we got is, uh, we got a MACD crossed in the positive direction here um, on the on the 20 day. So, anyway, it's, it's all said. I mean, what you say about their defense collapsing here, Minnesota's actually got the third best offense in the Big Ten. Yeah, because this offensive line is fantastic at run blocking so even oh we'd be remiss not to mention 
Bryce Williams carted off season-ending injury. That's three running backs now who are done for the season for Minnesota. So they're on a couple of true freshmen, and like we mentioned, they got a walk-on linebacker in there at running back. Um, it's going to be Kai Thomas and Bucko Irving the rest of the way. Hopefully both of them make it to the end of the season healthy because they've both proven very effective behind, again, a veteran, capable offensive line that's run-blocking really well. Tanner Morgan's line in this game will look a little clunky because he had the no touchdowns in the one interception. It was on a carom and, again, a crazy interception by aforementioned Brandon Joseph. Come on over. You'd look good in green, bud. Um to Penn State! That being said, uh, yeah, this is an offense that, as is the case with Wisconsin, looking for the 90-minute game, right? Both coaches in this game normally would be looking for the 90-minute game, but Northwestern can't run the ball. I'll tell you what, though. Minnesota's a team with a functional game-managing quarterback, an offensive line that's very experienced, so much so that it doesn't matter who you plug in there at running back, and a defense that's very good, though not suffocatingly so. I don't know who Wisconsin is this year, but Minnesota's become Wisconsin. Um, I can't quite agree with that because their defense isn't that good. Their defense is... Qu- Wisconsin's is, defense is better than it's been in years past. Yes. This is an incredibly good Wisconsin defense. And their, and their run offense, although it's better than it was to start the season, is not as good. Um, boy. I mean, Minnesota is what you usually think of Wisconsin as Minnesota is this year, and Wisconsin is not. Yeah. I don't think we've seen quite the maximum capacity kind of offense that you used to see. Like, you used to get conference games where Wisconsin is running for four, five, six hundred yards. Minnesota is not doing that yet. But they're certainly on the right... And look, you think back a month where many people, ourselves included, laughed our asses off at P.J. Fleck just face-planting against Bowling Green because their offensive approach seemed to deserve it. They were so stubborn, and now here we are a month later, and they stuck with it. They did not play outside, and they've found a potential kind of game-changing receiver in Mike Stevens-Brown. I don't know if he's a game-changer, but he's enough of a guy that they've got an outlet. Um, They don't have to rely on Chris Ottman-Bell staying healthy. He played in this game, but he had, like, one catch, you know. Hey, talk this about is a guy, guy in short of expectations. This is a guy in PJ Fleck who's just what he's doing is he's he's making the next form of Big Ten team out of all of his influences here, right? So you've got, like I said, that Wisconsin identity that I was talking about earlier. He of course has the, you know, the the the, the motivational phrase branding from his former boss Greg Schiano. He cribbed a lot of Tim Beckman's attitude, um, and of course, he also cribbed the horrifying Mac loss that has no bearing on the rest of the season from Pat Fitzgerald. I mean, he's taking all these elements and combining them together to create something new. It's Minnesota. It's P.J. Fleck. It's more than football. It's a fucking meatloaf. It's a tribute. Um, So what then remains to be plagiarized from Iowa? Just kind of the racism part of it? Or what does he take that's that he had? Like, he's got a lot of pieces counted for already. Hmm. Well, I wonder who their strength coach is, and I wonder if his Twitter is private. Who boy. Um, but yeah, so look, things are all set up for Minnesota here, sitting atop the division with games yet to come with the only realistic challengers, Floyd being later in the season than it usually is, and of course the Axe at the end of the year. Um, yeah, it look, way to, put, way to kind of put things together and rally, believe in your own message after that loss to Bowling Green. Because again, we get it. 
he's not for us. But we're still going to laugh at him when he loses games that he should win. Hey, you know what's not for you, Nebraska fans? Nebraska oh, Cornhuskers boy. football. So this this was the other one that I that happened exactly how I called it. Yeah. Which this, was Nebraska is better down to down and, and does lose. something stupid and they and lose. lose. Uh, <laughs> this week's entry into the Nebraska Ways to Lose Onomicon featured a very sharply executed onside kick by the benched Connor Culp in the late stages of the game that looked very recoverable and then by some unknown mechanism of physics just kind of like magnetized itself into a Purdue guy's hands. Like it, it's just, uh, this is loss number six, all of them this season by one score. There's a very good rundown in, I forget who wrote the article that was posted today. Uh, basically the, the beginning of our hot seat evaluations where Frost is front and center, ton of numbers on his tenure there. The ones are going to stick out again. 0-6 this year. 5-18, I believe, in one-score games in his time at Nebraska. And the same overall record to this point as Tim Brewster. Damn, y'all. So, not only does this kind of thing keep happening, but I I, I really think Bill Conley's work is terrific. And Nebraska had, or Illinois had about a 30% post-game win expectancy, as did Michigan State. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Purdue had a 7% post-game win expectancy here. Scott Frost is a magician. Scott Frost is an absolute magician. I'm gonna make uh, I'm gonna make this W disappear, and he what? just rams his own head onto the like. I posed this question to the Nebraska fans during the game, not to troll, but because I was genuinely curious. I asked, and this was this was before I think at this point he'd only thrown like one interception. I asked, Adrian Martinez could take the COVID year and come back next season, and you'd get year number five of him. Do you want that? And of course, like as I was typing the question, he threw another interception, and one of them was like, "Well, no." It's <laughs> like, "I, well, I should not have asked this during the game." I get that he has a magic playability that's difficult to teach, and that in some ways, he is very much what Frost needs a quarterback to de- to be with his running ability, his ability to work these options. But it's also very apparent at this point that. It, it either can't be done or it certainly can't be done by this staff to teach him not to turn it over in boatloads like this. He threw a pick six in the second half of a game. They lost by five points. Nebraska outgained Purdue despite only running 58 plays to Purdue's 86. Yeah, well, in Purdue, they, they really couldn't run the ball. They threw it a ton of times, but for very little yardage. Nebraska's defense. I don't know at what point they're just they're just like, well, how much more do you really want us to do? Like we, you're, you're letting the opponent run thirty plus more plays than us because you keep turning the ball over. We're keeping these opponent point totals to manageable numbers, and the offense just can't stop the mistakes. The special teams had the mistakes earlier in the season that ruined them. They've been fine now, but it's it's always something. There's always something they can't correct they can't, and it's always late in the game they've got it in their hands and then the thing happens why does the thing still happen how do you stop the thing from happening with this coaching staff can you stop the thing from the happening the only way to do it is to literally win 56 to 7 that is the only possible yeah, yeah. way to do it yeah and, and to make yourself just blunder proof 
where you're so much better than the opponent doesn't matter. Nebraska's not going to get there. They don't recruit well enough to do that. I mean, they already played Illinois. That's the thing. Like, they... God damn, I talk about Illinois pissing away chances to win games. Uh, This is an Illinois team that's very much punching up. Nebraska's got... Nebraska's got the same record. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think about that. Um, okay, so let's talk about this from the Purdue perspective a little bit here. They get themselves back in line for a bowl berth. If there is enough chaos in the West, they could still work themselves into the picture, but it does not help that they already have the head-to-head losses against Wisconsin and Minnesota, the two teams above them in the division. So That's, really, in so my really, opinion, lock them out. Yeah, really for Purdue, you're looking to get to the bowl game and to win the bucket. Those are your realistic goals for this season. You know, again, if you keep winning and maybe you see Wisconsin and Minnesota lose next week, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe it's a little more realistic now. They have but... a shot at a seven-win regular season, which is something that they have not done in a long time. Yeah. Uh, they got Xander Horvath back in this game. Again, not super productive, but his first game back from a pretty nasty leg injury. Um, a little bit of a better compliment with King Doru. Now they've got Horvath back. Still feels like in this offseason they should be looking into the portal for a difference-making running back. But, you know, who isn't going to be looking for that? I mean, my team will be again because the one we found is pros for sure. Um, Well, I mean, I didn't think we needed one, but uh, shit. I mean, if we can just get dudes of that caliber out of nowhere, then fine. Sign me up. Sure. You know, honestly, it's worth a spin, right? (laughs) All right. So... We'll wrap up with the, what was the late game this week. A game which honestly lost some luster after Penn State's 9-overtime um, adventure. <laughs> but actually turned out to be a very good game. You know, so, I knew it was going to be like this, too. Uh, no, according to you, Ohio State wins every game by 50. So why do we even watch this game? Well, except Penn State. Penn State being the team that... Being the team that Ohio State had, whose head coach Ohio State hasn't ground into mental dust yet, that has the that has the horses to run with them for four quarters. <laughs> I thought you were gonna. I was gonna say, you know, be careful because really Michigan's overall talent level is not all that different from Penn State's, but that qualify you added in there very much sets it up nicely. Yes. So. Yeah. They, they. Yeah. No. They. They have at no point. At no point. Have you seen James Franklin's soul leave his body after a game against Ohio State? So that's a little bit different. And they always do this uh, with Ohio State. And I I, I almost feel like it's like the fact that they lost to Illinois made it all that much more predictable that they would show up in a big way to Ohio State, almost as though it really sounds trite but that they were very much hedging yeah i should have taken the points in this one it was it was like a 17 point line or something like that which was less than ohio state was favored by against indiana did they sacrifice illinois game prep or focus to get a moral victory at ohio state and if so was it <laughs> worth it they were focused on illinois franklin said that himself <laughs> So, look, Ohio State took a little bit longer to settle in than they usually do, and I don't mean at the beginning of the game because they have had slow starts in the first quarter a fair amount under Ryan Day, but usually they flip the switch in the second quarter, game is over. They had this kind of weird arrhythmia going early on. Um, they had multiple snap infractions by the center, which is weird because Weipler has been the guy there all year, and it's you know Stroud, the starting quarterback. 
So I don't know if that's something where they changed their cadence or maybe something a defense was doing was throwing them off. It, it was weird. I don't know what it was. I don't know. Like, I think you got to be deeply involved around the sideline to know what happened there, and that was strange. Um, well, it, was, it was also good for their defense to have a slightly easier task this time in containing Travion Henderson than in containing the Illinois rushing attack and Chase Brown. Uh, if you just look at raw numbers, I mean, Travion Henderson compares more to a Josh McCray than a Chase Brown. He kind of compares to both of them and also like a really good receiving back all at once. So. <laughs> um, Essentially think Marshall Falk. Yeah, it's a real bummer, but he's almost a third of the way through his college career, so <laughs> we don't have to worry about him that much longer. Um, but we say this all the hey, time. Hey, look, if he's the second coming of Maurice Claret, does that mean he's going to leave? <laughs> uh, not that he can make money off his name and image, why would he care all that much about leaving early? He's going to make a fortune. At Ohio State. So we say this kind of thing about the stronger teams that play Ohio State all the time, though, which is that down to down, Penn State played really sharp. You know, they forced some incompletions. Their coverage was solid. Run defense was pretty good. They had a lead in the second quarter, and then one blown coverage, touchdown for Olave, and then they get the ball back. One blown pass pro, strip sack, fumble, touchdown. They're down 10 points in the blink of an eye. They fight back. They are, again, still playing well down to down. They're still in the game. And then 60-plus-yard rush from Henderson. They catch him before he gets to the end zone. But, of course, they punch it in a couple plays later. And, I, you know, I actually think there are some similarities between Ohio State and Michigan State in that if you keep their offense in front... I mean, Ohio State's more talented. No question about that. But if you keep their offense in front of you, they sometimes derail themselves with mistakes. I mean, Ohio State had a ton of penalties in this game, especially pre-snap ones. But if you lose track of one of their playmakers, even for one snap, they can undo all the work you did on defense up to that point in an instant. It's got to be demoralizing. So, I mean, really, do give James Franklin some credit for helping steady his staff, his steady his players, rather, and keep them in this after those bad reversal plays. I mean, a lot of teams would have folded after that sequence, touchdown, strip sack, fumble, go in the other. Like, I'm that wondering, would have collapsed a lot of teams. I'm wondering what the Venn diagram is of our listeners and people who played through Kingdom Hearts, or at least the original one. I don't know. The, the, well, the mega boss in that game is Sephiroth, and and you, you can you, you can level up, you know, really high to be able to compete with them down to down, play to play, right? <laughs> but ultimately, he's got this thing that can that can wipe out all of your mana and all of your HP unless you have a thing equipped to leave you with one HP, but then he warps and slashes you immediately after that. So if you if you let him get it off, then you have to time your elixir so that it gets there just before you get slashed. Point is, you can be playing, you can compete with him down to down, but you let him get that off once and you're dead. It's, it's exactly like, again, Playing a mega boss that's got a kind of cheap attack that can kill you in one hit, or or that that can that can really, you know, put you on the verge there. Yeah, it's like you you level up, you get all the best gear, but you still you just can't let him get that one off. You just 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 takes one mistake. No, it's an instant death move, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a one um, shot. It is worth noting that Penn State's receivers really worked over a talented but very young Buckeye secondary. And it still didn't matter because Penn State still does not have any ability to run the ball at all. 
And once it became clear that Penn State was going to have to throw to move the ball, Ohio State's front was really able to tee off. You know, Penn State's offensive line, I thought would be a relative strength for them. I couldn't figure out what was going on with the run game early on. I was like, yeah, maybe it's just something. But um, it's becoming a little more clear at this point that, honestly, this line is not as good as it should be. Well, and this is... There have, been, there have been a lot of storylines that have totally failed to carry over from last year to this year. Yeah, Penn State can't run the ball is one of them. We wrote it off last year as being a quirk of the COVID year. It well, hasn't they a, changed. They had a ton of running back injuries last year, yeah. too. But a lot of those guys who ended up playing because of that, like we said, going in, Noah Kane's back, Kevon Lee's back, Keziah Holmes is back. None of those guys have been effective running the ball. They, they brought in John Lovett, and they played him a little bit, but he just didn't do a whole lot for him. Um, I will say that Sean Clifford played admirably in this game. He is obviously still hurt, but fought through it pretty well. But every time he takes a hit, you can tell it's really painful. And then eventually, under the pressure of keeping up with Ohio State, he pressed a little too much. Under intense pressure, he throws up a prayer of a ball and it gets intercepted. And that was kind of all she wrote. They should be able to get back on track against Maryland next week. But if they don't fix this running game, they still have tough games left. They still have Michigan State and Michigan before the end of the year. Um, and then before we get on to this, before we wrap, you know, to kind of wrap up, I think the thing we can leave you best with is um, we mentioned the strip sack scoop and score touchdown by Ohio State. That was run back by one Jerron Cage, who I believe the broadcast said, oh, that guy's 300 pounds. The hell he is. Um, if he's 300 pounds, then I'm a tight buck one, you know, buck 50. Um, which I, I am not listeners so the, the aftermath um because you know it's probably like a 60 or so yard touchdown return that he yep, had to make 60 so they they cut to him on the sideline afterwards and at first it's just kind of him by himself on the bench and he's staring off into the distance and with the obvious expression of a man looking into the face of god where like an oh oh this is really it for me. Tell, tell my parents I love them. <laughs> and, then, and then was it worth it? Yeah. <laughs> and then a bunch of the other dudes on defense surround him, and they're like fanning him with their hands, and like shooting water under his pads, like he's an overheated radiator. Um, yeah, it is. Again, look, I, I know it's no fun to think good things about Ohio State, but it, I I really enjoyed it. Big man touchdowns, Big Ten football, Big Nude Saturday, everything's bigger now. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire!